Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution of the United States of America mandates that the president, quote, shall from time to time give to the Congress information on the state of the Union. And every president since George Washington did it in January the 8th, of 1790 has assumed that responsibility by giving an annual report or speech unveiling their assessment of the nation called the State of the Union. Now at Hope Church, we are not on a political mission. Amen? If you have been a part of our fellowship for any length of time at all, you understand that we are not on a political mission. At Hope, we believe that we have a higher calling than even the glorious ideals of America. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. He said, for our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The bottom line is that ultimately this world is not our home. We are about a kingdom that is yet to come. We just spent five weekends together as a church family unpacking the reality of heaven. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we can't have patriotism. I come from a family that is deeply patriotic. The roots of my family are deeply patriotic. My grandfather served in two different wars. My grandfather was in the first wave of the Anzio Beachhead in World War II. I come from a family that is deeply rooted in American patriotism. But the reality is, I am only an American temporarily. One day, My true citizenship will be where I call home in eternity in the kingdom of God. And so as we begin this series today, we understand that we're not on a political mission, but God over the last several weeks has given me a burden concerning the state of our union. Like many of you, I have watched our nation convulse with violence, hatred, anger, confusion, hurt, pain, division, and tragedy. 
And I've grown to understand even more the great burden of pastoring a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural church. What God has done here at Hope is a beautiful expression of the gospel. Amen? Unfortunately, it's not like this everywhere. Now, you need to know this. This is the way the New Testament church was. In the New Testament church, there was multiple cultures and multiple ethnicities. What's happened over time is in our sin, we've drifted from that. And in our country, we need a a repentant heart that leads us back to our roots in New Testament theology that is multicultural, multi-generational expressions of the gospel. But what we have here at Hope is a beautiful thing. I mean, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, when you look around, it's a beautiful expression of the gospel. But there are challenges. A friend of mine once said that a multi-ethnic church means it's also often multi-theological and multi-political, which makes it (laughs) multi-difficult. When you gather in a group like this with all the different cultures coming together, here's what that means. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. We all have a different history that's led us to where we are today, and that's given us many different perspectives. It's given us a lot of emotion that we bring to the table surrounding those perspectives, and all of that has shaped part of who we are. And when you put all of that together, we come together in the body of Christ as one people. There's some challenges with that. And as I've watched our society over recent months and weeks, I've I've noticed that challenge begin to, to surface in our own relationships. And we felt led to, to explore God's word together, much like the book of Amos points out. In Amos chapter 7 in the Old Testament, Amos compares the word of God to a plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? It's a, it's a cord with a weight at the bottom that's used in construction and architecture. And they, they use that to make sure that the vertical wall is straight, that it's straight against the plumb. Well, Amos says that the Word of God is like that. And here's what we're going to do over the next several weeks together. We're going to take the Word of God as a plumb line. And we're going to try to hold the word of God up and expose the truth of God's word and lay that against our perspectives, our own experience, our ideology, our history, our emotions. And here's the goal. We're asking the Holy Spirit of God to bring all of us in line with his word as we establish a biblical worldview. But let me tell you up front, it's not going to be easy. I preached the first message in this series this morning at the 9 o'clock service, and I'm just telling you, it's not easy. There's a weight even in preaching some of this because I know that it's, it's digging with our emotion. It's, 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 it's challenging where we've come from, even myself. And even in saying that, we've we got to understand that there's not anybody in this room, myself included, that is immune from what God's going to do through this series. He, he's going to speak to all of us in certain ways. So we begin today this series called State of the Union, but as we begin, I want to open with a little bit of a disclaimer. I want to start by telling you what we're not going to do with this series, all right? If you were listening to the radio right now, this would be that little part of the commercial at the very end when the guy starts talking really, really, really fast. You know what I'm talking about? But I'm not going to say it really, really fast because I want you to get it. Here's here's what we're not going to do in this series. Number one, 
We are not going to endorse a candidate or tell you who to vote for. Okay? It's not why we're here. That's not what we're going to do in this series. But let me just say this. It's a sad day in American politics when the choices we've got are the only choices we've got. It's an indictment against our nation. When we're sitting where we are today with the candidate choices that we have across the board. But let me say this. I had this thought this week, and it really brought me some comfort. One presidency did not make America. One presidency will not break America. So let's just all take a deep breath. The world is not coming to an end in November. Okay? It's just not. But we're not going to endorse a candidate or tell you to vote for. Now, we are going to, as we walk through this series... We're going to take a weekend and we're going to talk about our civic responsibility to being involved and participating in government, which includes voting and elections. So we're going to talk about some biblical principles, how we arrive at who we're going to vote for, but we're not going to tell you to do it because here's the bottom line. There are going to be good and godly people in this election that are all over the map. It's just going to happen. There's no clear candidate for those that are followers of Jesus today. Here's the second thing we're not going to do. We're not going to take your side. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. As we announced this series and began to talk about this series, it was very interesting people's response because I would have people come up to me and then I would have somebody else come up to me that's I know on the exact opposite side of an issue as this person and both of them basically said the same exact thing. Here's what they said. I'm so glad you're doing this series. I can't wait for you to tell them. Because you see, before this morning, everybody assumed I was on your side. But the bottom line is not about your side or my side. What we're really wanting to do is find what is the truth of God's word. What is a biblical worldview? And then how do I need to repent and conform to what God's word says. And here's what I want you to understand. This is going to stretch all of us. If you think you can go through this series with us and it's not going to stretch you, I'm telling you it is going to stretch us. Here's the third thing we're not going to do. We are not going to solve all of America's problems with a six-week teaching series. It is not going to happen. The problems are too complex, and I am not arrogant enough to think that in a six-week teaching series, we can find all the solutions to all that ills our nation. It's much bigger than that. It's not our objective. Here's the fourth thing we're not going to do, and I put this one in here for me. We are not going to answer nasty or anonymous emails. There you go. I figure if you're not brave enough to sign it, I don't have to waste the time to read it, right? So we're not going to nasty or anonymous emails. We're not going to do. Here's the fifth one. We are not going to divide over political rhetoric. Now, here's what I mean by that. I'm going to ask all of us to extend some grace to one another. And here's how. All of us come from different cultures. It's one of the things that makes us beautiful as a church. But when you come from a certain culture, there are certain words and phrases from your culture, certain words and phrases from my culture that you don't know it, But they're loaded with meaning where I come from. Or they're loaded with meaning from where you come from. 
And when we use those words and phrases, we, from our culture, bring all of our cultural baggage with that word or phrase, and it incites in us a response. But here's what you got to understand. People from other cultures don't, don't really know that it means that to you. Now, some things, obviously, that, that doesn't apply to you, but there are some of the things that we're going to talk about, we're going to have to extend some grace to one another to not just hear the words that they're saying, but hear the heart behind what they're saying. Listen to one another. Let's not divide over political rhetoric, but rather let's come together around the truth of God's Word. Let's establish a biblical worldview so that when we hear terms like racial reconciliation, immigration, refugees, elections, voting, law enforcement, government, My prayer is that as we hear those terms, that through this series, God will give each of us a biblical filter through which we can rightly interpret that information into our lives and make Christ honoring decisions. You see, some of the, even in mentioning, we're going to address most all of those topics over this series. But even in hearing those topics, depending on the culture that you come from and the background that you have and the experience that led you to this day, even some of those terms and hearing them, there's something that rises up. And here's what we're asking God to do. For God to give us a biblical worldview so that as those things are happening around us and these topics become news around us, we have a filter through which we can receive that information appropriate it into our lives and make decisions that honor and represent the Lord Jesus Christ. I've read a lot of Tony Evans' works in preparation for this series. Tony Evans, here's a quote from Tony Evans. He's an African-American pastor in Dallas, Texas, one of my favorite preachers to listen to. Tony said, truth at its core is God's view of a matter. It is a powerful entity To be able to transform lives both in history and for eternity. While truth includes information and facts, it also includes original intent. Making it the absolute objective standard by which reality is measured. The presence of truth brings clarity and understanding. It's one of my prayers as we walk through this together. That as we expose the truth, it will bring clarity And understanding, its absence leads to confusion and the presence of cognitive dissonance holding contradictory ideas simultaneously. That's where our culture is right now. In the absence of truth, we have nothing but confusion and cognitive dissonance. There's no unity. There's no understanding. There's no clarity. And my prayer is that through this series, the Holy Spirit of God would guide us into all the truth. Let me show you a couple of verses that really shape the way I want you to pray as we walk through this together. John chapter 16, verse 7. Look what he says. He says, but I tell you the truth. Now, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, let that sink in for a minute. Here's what Jesus said to him. Hey, It's going to be better off for you when I'm not here. Now, you might think, hey, that might be true if some people said it. But this is Jesus. Jesus said, 
It's going to be better for you when I'm not here. How in the world could he say? What was he implying? What he's here talking about. Look what he says next. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if I were to ask you today, which would you rather have? The Spirit inside you or Jesus beside you? Most of us would probably say, I'll take Jesus right here beside me, right? But Jesus said, no. It's better for you that I go away so that you can have the Spirit inside you. And then look what he says a couple of verses later in verse 13 of the same chapter. He says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit came, and one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to guide us into the truth. So here's my prayer through this series. That as we break apart God's Word, and we expose the truth of God, that the Holy Spirit, in your heart and my heart, will guide us into the truth. Because here's what I know. There's no set of sermons that I can preach. There are no talks that I can give that's going to convince all of us one way or the other. But here's what I know. If we'll all yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God and we'll expose the truth of God's Word, the Spirit of God can take the Word of God and do a work of transformation on the inside that brings us into conformity. He can bring unity and reconciliation where we could never get to in our own strength, but the power of the Spirit using the truth of the Word of God. So what I want to do this morning is I want to lay a foundational reality. This truth that I want to unpack today, if you don't get this truth, you will not have a filter through which to receive the rest of the series. This is so important to where we're going. So here's the foundational reality. I want to put it up on the screen, and I want us to read it out loud. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. I know what you're thinking. That's not nearly as political as I thought this was going to be. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. Above all else, I'm not an American. That's not at the top of the list. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. Above all else, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent. Above all else, I'm not white or black or Asian or Hispanic. Above all else, I'm not law enforcement or government or citizen. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. If you get that, say amen. amen. Now, here's the problem. I assumed that you would say amen right there. 
Because I think all of us as Christians will go, well, yeah, of course. I mean, of course who I am in Christ is at the top. But let's dig into what that means. If you've got your Bible, open it to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, I want you to turn to verse 26. I want you to listen to what Paul writes here. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. I want to unpack some truths that will help us wrap our minds around this identity statement. Who I am is who I am in Christ. The real question of the morning is, who are you? Who am I? When I think of Vance Pittman, who am I? What defines me? And here's the first statement I want you to see here. In Christ, I have a new identity. In Christ, I have a new identity. He said it here in verse number 26. He said, for, all, for you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That little phrase, you are, it's a verb tense that's in the present active tense, meaning it's not describing what I am in certain situations. It's describing the ongoing, continuous state of being. He didn't say, I am becoming a child of God. He didn't say, I'm hoping to be a child of God. He didn't say, I'm going to be a child of God. He said, I am right now today, and I continue to be, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, a born-again, blood-bought child of God. Because of Jesus, I have a new identity. Let me give you that in a few statements. In Christ, this new identity means, number one, I'm a new person. Look what he said in verse 27. He said, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. That phrase, clothe yourselves, it's the picture of of taking off an old garment and putting on a new garment so that now when people see me, they see me differently. They no longer see me wearing that old garment. They now see me in this new set of clothes. They see me in this new garment, so they have a new perspective about who I am. But what he's talking about here is not something on the outside. He says we've been clothed with Christ, meaning that Christ now is our identity. Christ is in us, and we are in him, meaning that the the, the, the defining mark of who I now am is Christ in me. When others see me, my primary concern is not that they know my race. It's not that they know my political persuasion, whether conservative or liberal. It's not whether they know my nationality. My primary concern is do they see Christ in me? 
J.B. Phillips translated 2 Corinthians 5.17 this way. He said, for if any man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. I am a white person. I know that surprises some of you this morning. When you <laughs> looked at me, you did not think that. As a matter of fact, even with me saying that, you're thinking, that just can't be true. There's no way. I mean, he's not. I'm a white guy. I'm a white guy who was born as a citizen of the United States of America. So I'm a white American guy. I'm a white American guy who was born in Decatur, Alabama in 1971. So I'm a white American man from the great state of Alabama. It's a good weekend to be from the state of Alabama. It's not a good weekend to be from the state of Tennessee, but I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm a white American guy from Alabama. But here's what Paul is saying. Those things no longer primarily define who I am. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. When other people see me, my primary identity, my primary concern is that they see Christ in me because I've been made new and clothed in the image of Jesus. That is who I am. And listen, the same is true about you. You come from somewhere. You have a race or ethnicity. You have a nationality. You have a hometown. But those things no longer primarily define who you are. Because of the gospel, you've been born again. And your primary identity is Christ in you. I'm a new person. But but here's the second part of this. In Christ, I have a new people. I'm not just a new person. I have a new people. Look at verse 26. He begins by saying, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the first word in English is the word for. But that's not the first word in the Greek translation of this sentence. In the Greek construction of the New Testament, word order was very important. They would put the most significant or important word in the sentence at the beginning of the sentence, and you extrapolated the meaning and interpreted based on word order. The first word in this sentence is not for. The first word in this sentence is all. Meaning, Paul here is speaking plural. It's a you plural here, and for those of you that hadn't heard this before, I've educated you about you plural. You plural is really y'all, right? So, so this verse, literally in the Greek text, here's, here's the first two words of this verse. All y'all. <laughs> now, it's very important because you got to remember who Paul was writing to. The book of Galatians was written because the church at Galatia was multicultural. 
There were Jews, there were Greeks, there were Hellenists, there were slaves, there were free men, there were those in government, those not in government. And those divisions culturally had begun to cause them to divide and they were arguing about, well, can we eat that? I don't know. My culture doesn't eat that. I don't think we should eat that. Well, can we do this on that day? Well, from my culture, we don't do this on that day. And they were bringing in their cultural differences to the church. And Paul says, wait a minute. All y'all. It was a radical grouping together of a people that had never before been together and had a history of violence and division for centuries. These were people whose history had pitted them against one another. These were people whose history had caused them to be at war with one another. These were people who in their history, had their ancestors had killed one another, and they're bringing that division into the church. And Paul says, wait a minute. All y'all. And he's defining the reality that in Christ, we now have a new people. There's a lot of talk out there today using two words, us and them. You had not heard any of that recently, have you? Sometimes, sometimes us and them is us, American, them, immigrant. Refugee, non-American. Sometimes, us is Republican or Democrat or Independent, and them is whatever us is not, right? Sometimes, us is white or black, or Hispanic, or Asian, and them is whatever's not us, right? You're hearing this, right? It's out there. It's a lot of talk, a lot of stuff on social media, a lot of stuff in the news, us and them. People say things like, Why is this happening to us? Why are they telling this false story, this false narrative about us? But I want to remind you today, for the child of God, there's only one us and there's only one them. Us are those who have been born again through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. Us are those who've turned from our sin and embraced by faith the glorious good news of Jesus, and we are now the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. From every culture, from every language, from every people, we are us. Them... Is everybody that's not us? Those that have not heard or responded to the gospel. But get this. 
Our responsibility as us to them is to love them so they can become us. Us and them is not to show who the enemy is. Us and them is to show who the mission is. It's us. Believers. And you and I must establish a biblical worldview. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't have cultural and community differences that make us unique. We do. And listen, God created those. He gave us diversity to be celebrated. But what I'm simply saying is that those things don't compare to the unity we now have in Christ as our primary identity. We are the people of God. Would you say that out loud with me? We are the people of God. Say it again. We are the people of God. Now get this. Within that context, there's going to be some diversity of opinion about stuff that's happening out there. But we can't let that divide the reality that we are the people of God. Now, Paul sets the standard for this in Philippians chapter 3. Turn over there. Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. Look what he said. Paul said, all right, you want to talk labels, you want to talk identity, I'll talk to you about that. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Look what he said. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews. Paul said, you want to talk history, you want to talk heritage, you want to talk people, I got it. I can go toe-to-toe with you. I come from God's people. I come from the chosen tribe. I come from the tribe that, that gave us the Lord. I, I'm of the, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, you don't talk history. I got that. Then look what he says. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But then he begins to use some very dramatic language. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as, say it out loud. You know what the word lost means in the Greek text? It means gone. Gone. Paul said, in comparison to my identity in Christ, all that other stuff, gone. Then look what he says next. If we didn't get that, Paul says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but, say the next word out loud. If you knew what it meant, you probably wouldn't have said it out loud. I'm going to keep this PG, all right, but you need to understand something. That word rubbish in the Greek language is the closest you'll ever come to finding vulgarity in the scriptures. We're going to use the word crap. (laughs) But if you study extra biblical literature and you see how this word is used in other places outside of scripture, it's a word that speaks to vulgarity. It's a word that speaks to revulsion. It's a word that speaks to worthlessness. Paul said, all that other stuff, all, that other, all those other labels where I find my identity, he said, in comparison to the glory of who I am in Christ, it's just a pile of, well, I'll let you figure it out, but that's exactly what he said. 
And here's the problem. See, I grew up in the white Bible Belt church. Church I grew up in, we so confused Christianity with democracy and the United States way of living that we had the Christian flag on one side of the stage and the American flag on the other side of the stage. I'm not sure we knew which kingdom we were building. See, where I grew up in my heritage, we'd have no problem saying, absolutely, who I am in Christ is at the top. But as an American, it's it's right up there. Next to being a follower of Jesus, right up there, man, I'm red, white, and blue. God bless America. <laughs> It'd mean more if I had a headband on, but you know what I'm saying. That's my tribe. That's where I come from. Some of us, it's not American. It's some people, maybe you come from a culture where it was Republican or Democrat. I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, that's at the top, but man, up there close. <laughs> Is Republican or Democratic ideology, maybe it's so woven into your family and your framework, you don't know where being a Christian stops and that starts. Maybe for some with the culture that you come from, it's not Americanism, it's not Republican or Democrat, maybe it's a race or an ethnicity. Yes, I'm a Christian first, but next to that, my identity is wrapped up in my race or my ethnicity. Here's the problem with all of that. Paul says, in comparison to finding my identity in Christ, all that other stuff is gone and it's garbage next to finding my identity in him. You see, when we begin to elevate what he does not, it leads us down a dangerous path. When we begin to elevate things like ideology or race, that's where you get the end result of the dangerous philosophy of racial supremacy and ideological supremacy and all that other stuff. It's dangerous. Look at Galatians 3 again. Look what, look what Paul said in verse 28. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. It's not that we stop being Jew or Greek or male or female. It's the reality that it no longer primarily defines who I am. One of the reasons that some of this language out there in society creates such an emotional response in us is because we feel threatened personally because we've wrapped our identity into something that's not supposed to be our identity. Tony Evans, I love this quote. Look what he said. One of the things that you and I have got to understand as brothers and sisters in Christ is that this divide in our culture and in our nation is because people have chosen to pay more attention to their granddaddy than to their heavenly father. It is because people have held a stronger commitment to the history of their culture than to the person of Jesus Christ. There has been a more faithful allegiance to background than the Bible. I'm a new person, and I got a new people. 
You my people. We are a people. Listen, we once were not a people. But now because of the gospel, we are a people. And we're a people that's going to be together for all eternity. The people of God. Here's the third thing. I'm a new person. I've got a new people. But I'm also on a new mission. Paul, in in verse 29, he says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. What promise is he talking about? He's talking about the promise of the coming kingdom of God. We have a mission, and our mission is to... We've been enlisted as a soldier in the army of the Lord to bring as many people into the kingdom of God as we possibly can. And listen, any other mission is a distraction from that mission. And you know what I've watched happen in our culture right now? This election cycle has created a distraction for a lot of people when it comes to the mission. Here's what I mean by that. Some of us are more concerned with how somebody else is going to vote with whether or not they're, where they're going to spend eternity. How messed up is that? Everybody's like, well, I'm, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm too embarrassed to talk about the gospel. I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, where'd that language go, right? Nobody's afraid now. Everybody's talking about all kinds of stuff, wanting to offend people. We have a mission, and the mission is not to convince people to vote our way. The mission is to engage people with the gospel so they can be born again into the family of God, become a part of the people of God, and spend eternity together in heaven as the kingdom of God. That's our mission. Look what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy. He said, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Are you getting entangled in the affairs of everyday life and drifting off mission? Again, look what Tony Evans said. God's kingdom is not black. God's kingdom is not white. God's kingdom is not Hispanic. Nor is it Asian, Middle Eastern, or Indian. God did not come to take sides. God came to take over. And until we bow beneath the overarching rules set forth by the ruler in his realm, we will continue to live defeated lives in the face of walls too thick to crumble and an enemy looming too large for us to defeat. But when you and I realize that I've been made a new person, that I've been born again into a new family and i got a new people and I have a new mission, we can unite together as the people of God and live in unity and accomplish the mission of God. I have a new identity. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. Let me give you the second statement this morning. These last two are not near as long as the first one. In Christ, my new identity demands denying self. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this part hurts. It hurts. The verses I'm about to read are maybe some of the toughest things Jesus ever said in the New Testament. And here's how important they are. They're recorded three times in three different Gospels. So he wanted to make sure we got this. There are in the Gospels stories that are not included in other Gospels. But but this particular, what I'm about to read, Matthew, Mark, Luke... All three of them heard it. All three of them wrote it down, and we got it. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he... Say the next word out loud. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Say it again. 
I need you to get that. He didn't say might or maybe. He said, if you wish to come after me, you, say it out loud, must, must. Like, this isn't an option he's laying on the table for you and I to consider and pray about. Must. What? What does he say next? Deny himself. It means to say no to oneself. It's, it's emphatic. It means to disown and renounce self. It means to disavow any connection with self. It means to refuse association with self. Now, just in case you think I'm driving that too far home, look what he said next to bring clarity. And take up his what? Read the next word. If you wish to follow me, here's what he said. Deny yourself. No, let's take it a step further. Die to yourself. You know why we get offended and react? Because we ain't dead. If you don't believe me, let's leave and go drive down to the funeral home. Go back there where they got the bodies getting ready for the services. Let's just go persecute a few of them and see how they respond. You can call them any name you want to call them. You can say anything about them you want to say. And you know what you're going to get out of them? Nothing. You know why? They're dead. You know what often reacts so sharply in me? My flesh that I've not taken to the cross daily and allowed to die to myself. Now, not talking about righteous indignation over injustice. We're going to talk about that in this series. We're going to get there. There's a place for that. But I'm telling you, what a lot of what we're seeing today is not that. It's self-motivated. Ray Stedman was a pastor in Northern California. He wrote a paragraph about this idea of denying self. And it's a little long, but I want you to hear it. Listen to what he said. He is not talking about giving up luxuries. Or even necessities. But about denying self. Which is entirely different. Denying self means that we repudiate our natural feelings about ourselves. Our right to ourselves. Our right to run our own lives. We are to deny that we own ourselves. We do not have the final right to decide what we are going to do or where we are going to go. When it is stated in those terms, people sense immediately that Jesus is saying something very fundamental. It strikes right at the heart of our very existence. Because the one thing that we as human beings value and covet and protect above anything else is the right to make ultimate decisions for ourselves. We refuse to be under anything or anybody, but reserve the right to make the final decisions in our lives. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about giving up this or that, but about giving up ourselves. If you are going to follow Jesus, 
you no longer own yourself. He has ultimate rights. He has lordship in your life. He must make those final decisions when the great issues of your life hang in the balance. It's three times in the New Testament. If anybody wishes to follow me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Here's the last thing and we're done. In Christ, my new identity is at war with this world. When I say world, I'm not talking about the stars and the planets and the trees and the flowers. When I use the word world, I'm referring to the reality that there is an invisible spiritual system opposed to Christ and his kingdom. And you need to know something. This world system that we live in has a voice. This world system that we live in has an ideology. This world system that we live in has values. And what the scripture I'm about to read teaches us is that the world that we live in as God's people is constantly trying to shape and form us into its own image. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Look what it says. And do not be what? Conformed. It means to be shaped into the likeness of another. Do not be conformed to this what? What's he talking about? That invisible spiritual system that is opposed to Christ and his kingdom. I love the way one writer translated it. He said, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That's what's happening right now. In this cycle, this season, this political environment, the world around us is trying to squeeze us as the people of God into its mold and let us act just like everybody else acts. Let us argue and divide and push our agenda and make our point just like everybody else does. But he says, not by way of suggestion, this is an imperative in the Greek text, do not, do not allow the world around you to shape you into its mold, but rather, he says, look at it, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. What is that? It's allowing the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and do a transformative work from the inside out so that when others see us, it's Christ in us. What is that? Good, acceptable, perfect. So here's what we're going to do over the next five weekends, six weekends. Instead of allowing the world around us to shape our worldview and define our identity... We're going to seek to lay biblical principles down 
and pray that God would take his word by his spirit and shape our worldview and shape and define our identity. We're going to seek over the next six weeks together to allow God to renew our mind. The plumb line. As we do it, let me leave you with some practical suggestions, okay? Here's number one. Let's look to God in prayer. Let's look to God in prayer together. We're going to look to God in prayer. We need to pray. Amen? Like never before as a church, we need to pray. I'm going to ask you to set aside time. We, we took a day this last week and we fasted and prayed. Maybe over the next six weeks you would do that. Maybe one meal, maybe one day. And you would just fast and pray, asking God to do a work of transformation in us that doesn't allow us to be conformed to His image, to the image of this world, but to be transformed from the inside out. We're going to pray. Here's the second thing you can do. You can limit social media activity. God help us. Amen. Let's not follow a whole bunch of you. God help us. Let me, let me encourage you to do something. Pray before you post. Would you just pray before you post? Before you hit send... Before you hit share, before you hit post, just pray. Lord, is this my flesh? And listen, when in doubt, don't. Just don't. You got brothers and sisters in here who have a different perspective than you. And sometimes what you're sharing, listen, it may be with a good intent, but there are different perspectives, and we need some conversation. We need some relational equity to go with the content, and you assume on your brother and sister in Christ a relational equity that you don't yet have. Pray. Some of us, it'd be a good idea, just take a six-week fast <laughs> from social media. Everybody all right? Here's the third one. Listen to other cultures. Listen to other cultures. Here's what I mean by that. God's given us a beautiful fellowship with a lot of variety of culture. Here's my challenge to you. Over the next six weeks, find somebody who's not of your culture. Go to lunch or dinner and just ask some questions and do a lot of listening. I've done that for several hours leading up to this series. I've been meeting with different groups of people from different cultures, asking them some questions and just listening to what they had to say. And let me tell you what it's done. It's helped me so much. There's so much stuff I didn't know. There was so, so I, I just didn't understand. So I'm going to challenge you. If you're a single, do it with a single. If you're a couple, do it with a couple of another culture. Lunch or dinner. Be even awesome if you have them over to your house. You just talk. You listen. Don't defend. Just Listen. There's some beautiful people in here that love Jesus that come from a different perspective. And you can learn some stuff by just listening. Just listen. Then here's the last thing. Learn in community. Learn in community. 
Throughout this series, we're going to have small group curriculum that we're sending out to all the small group leaders. If you're not in a small group, you need to get in one. Go to the Next Step Center today. Say, I need a small group. We'll help you get, help you, help get you connected. We want you to learn in community. Through small groups, we're going to take this information. We're going to begin to digest it spiritually, process it, and learn together to grow in grace and humility and understanding what it is to walk together as a family of God. If, you'll, if you receive these practical suggestions, say amen. Let's pray together today. Father, we ask you today that you'd take these words and you'd speak into our heart. God, would you do what only you can do? 